Can I move the microphone down a little bit, Debbie? Thank you. My dad used to say dynamite comes in small packages. <laughs> Yay, dad. Oh my goodness, um, my name is Marion and I'm a recovered alcoholic. And good to be here and good to be sober tonight and in Kentucky. <laughs> oh my gosh, my third time in Kentucky. And um, we've seen some familiar faces and, and it's just so beautiful, you know, this fellowship and no matter where we go, that um, we have this fellowship of the Spirit. And, um, I just am undone by that every single time. I just, I hope you're like that with your sobriety. You just want to pinch yourself sometimes and go, how did I get here? Oh, my Lord. Um, my sobriety date is November 11th, 1989. Um, thank you. I have a home group. It's Alcoholics and God, and we meet in Fort Lauderdale, Florida on Monday nights. We go through the big book, uh, Krusty Cliff style, um, on Monday nights, light online, and on Thursday night, we have a speaker series meeting. So if you're ever in Fort Lauderdale, look me up and look Peter up. We can, you know, we're on that social media thing with our anonymity, but I'm blowing it right now here for you. You know, that's us. Here's that guy right there, too, and you're going to get to hear him tomorrow night. And um, thank you, LaTanya, for such... A warm welcome, taking us to a nice little cafe. You know, when, when you visit somewhere, I don't know if you're like me, when, when we visit somewhere, it's just so nice. I love, love, love to go to a little local cafe. And I love to be with someone who's kind of born and raised in the area. Because you're going to see, you're not going to be like on a tour bus and go, oh, well, there's the, you know, whatever. You know, there's the flying pancake house or whatever. You know, you get to see... Through the eyes of a local and through the eyes of another recovering recovering alcoholic and so it's it's been a beautiful welcome so far and and power to the women on the panel tonight that was just amazing and thanks to the spa downstairs for my superpower cape I think us women wear these now because it's like it feels kind of like a cape it gives you power or something I don't know. Just being a nut. Um, <laughs> and gosh, that's what, in so many ways, I like to say that, is that we've been given this superpower to transform lives and, and, and to bring some other person to life and put their hand in God's hand and bring them to our amazing, gracious, beautiful fellowship. Right? You know, there's doctors and there's nurses and there's firemen and there's police officers and probably a lot of those represented even in the rooms here, in this room here tonight. And have, you know, and, and what do we do? We just mess up our lives and we've been given a superpower. You know, how does that happen for us, man? This, this grace and this mercy and this loving God that we've been given, not by anything of our own merit. What a life. What a life. And, you know, tonight, tonight you would have Polly P here, and um, I'm her stand-in. <laughs> and Polly's been my sponsor since 2004, and she's, a, she's an AA hero to me. And um, 
I first heard her when I was nine months sober. And at that time, she had this puffy blonde hair. And she, oh my God, she had everything I wanted. And I remember her saying this one, I can remember, you know, I can't remember for what I had for breakfast yesterday, but I can remember what she said at the end of that talk in 1990. And I'm just going to share that right now. Um, I sought my God, my God I could not see. I sought my soul, and my soul eluded me. I sought my brother, and I found all three. And that's what we do in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. No better, no less, no greater, no less. You know, being able to look the world in the eye. Man, what, what a gift we've been given, right? And nothing on my own merit. And, you know, I met her in 1990, but she came my, my sponsor in 2004. And what she does send is she sends her love to you and she sends her greetings to you. And, um, and her husband is, has been having some failed health. And keep Dave in your prayers. They have been icons and giants in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And they've carried this message all over the world. And, um, and Polly, in years and years and years and years of speaking behind a podium and carrying this message, she says to me, honey, 39 years ago I made a commitment to Dave. And I'm a woman who follows through on my commitments. I want to be that woman. I want to be just like her. And if you're a new woman in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, get around those kind of women. You know, if you're new in this room tonight and this is your first state convention, your first day sober, you know, the great equalizer alcohol, right? No better, no less. Get around those old timers. There's nothing more I like than just... I can see him in the room tonight. I can see him in the room tonight. I can see those eyes, that fresh skin glowing that Bill and Bob talk about, you know. There's just something about them. There's just something about them. And it's not that we have to speak from a high horse or from any of that stuff, just this common understanding of this disease. And um, so I'm done now. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> so like I said, my sobriety date is November 11th, 1989. I come from a little town um, north of Seattle, Washington, Bellingham, Washington. Is any ever? Oh, I got a woo! Girl! Yes! That is so great. Bellingham sits right between Vancouver, British Columbia, and Seattle, Washington. And we were known in the 70s in the Guinness Book of World Records for the most hippies per capita of any city. Yes, he's right. Where Birkenstocks and socks rule. You know, that's where, that, that's where we come from, where I come from. And I was raised by a World War II veteran, dude Weston, God rest his soul, and... Um, and an Alaska Native, Marion. I was Marion the second, but my great aunt Marion called me Marion the turd. <laughs> so I was the turd in my family. And, um, and we had three boys and we had three girls and we had 
alcoholism in my family. And we would watch the Brady Bunch, and I always say that, you know, we were the dysfunctional Brady Bunch. And I was the middle girl, and I was Jan, and I wanted to be Marsha. <laughs> and it's it's such a silly. I, I say when I say that, it's like it's such a true thing in my heart. It was such, and even still today, you know, my biggest struggle is comparing myself to other people, and I'm not enough, and I'm never going to measure up. I'm always going to be that little dirty girl from Lincoln Street in Bellingham. Do you know Lincoln Street? <laughs> okay, <laughs> just checking on my girl from Bellingham over there. <laughs> and um, and so because my mother was an alcoholic and because my father was an alcoholic, um, and you know, my dad had a, a sixth grade education. And he drove cab and he worked construction and he went to Alaska and he went fishing and and his own dad died when he was when he was a little, you know, like he was five years old. And so, what did my dad know? He was one of eight kids, and and um, and his mother raised them. And so, what my dad knew to do was to work hard. And he was gone a lot, and and that left us home with drunk mom, and you know, a lot of sumptuous scenes in our apartment, as sumptuous scenes in our home, uh, the alcoholic fights and. And, you know, we were the kids that, you know, I'd go to school as a little girl and my teacher would wash my face and my teacher would comb my hair. And we'd go home to one hot home-cooked meal every night. And and the rest of that was making our own peanut butter sandwich if we had it. Or, you know, I'm just trying to set the scene of what, what those things are. And, and and how that goes back to being Jan, you know, is like I wanted to be anybody else. I'd visit those little girls that, you know, I'd go to... Bethany's house and she had bows and she had the frilly little socks and she had all the Barbie dolls and the white picket fence and I would just be like man oh and she had God too and it seemed like I was I was consciously separated from God even as a child you know that that those God girls got those things you know and, and then there was me, just wrong. And, you know, kids didn't come to play at our house. There was none of that kind of stuff, you know. And, um, and that's how I was raised. And because, it, you know, there was, if you were raised like I was raised, you know, there was lots of secrets. You know, there was lots of, um, I'd be upstairs in my brother's bedroom and we'd all gather up there when mom and dad fought. And I, I was a, I was a singer, and I could dance, and I'd be the cute little Marion or whatever, and run downstairs, and because my brothers and sisters would send me downstairs to break up the big fights, and and I could do that. Like it would be just, I could just get in dad's little girl, mom's, you know, and I could break up these fights, and I learned to play God in my family, you know, and. And it's kind of a role that continued on in my life through my childhood, through with my brothers and sisters. Like if I was ever like him, you know, like I was the good kid growing up. It's like, I don't want to make dad mad. I don't want to make mom mad. I'm going to be a peacekeeper. I'm going to hold everything together. And it was a whole lot of responsibility for a little girl, you know. It really, really was. And... And, and even when I say those, it's not like my sob story, it's not my anything like that. Because of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, because of working the steps, because of having a great sponsor, because of, you know, this, this, some, and some, even some little bit of outside help, you know, 
I wouldn't change a moment of it. I, my mother worked hard for me. My father worked hard for me. You know, he, one of Peter's favorite expressions is chop wood and carry water. And my dad was a guy who chopped wood and carry water, <laughs> you know. He was that guy. And, and I couldn't be more proud. I couldn't be more proud. And if you have that stuff in your past and you have those, you know, those things with mom, those things with dad, you know, sink into the program, sink in with your sponsorships, you know, sink into this work, God, and God can heal that stuff. And I can honestly tell you this is pretty cool too. You know, through the process of all that stuff, you know, my mom passed away in 1987 and my dad died in 2006. But because of the sacred rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, out of those six children, my little sister has 30 years. I have 29 years. My brother Eric has 28 years. And my sister Marlene has 27. You know, and we are still dysfunctional as crazy. And I'm telling you, it's not my job to work their program anymore, and it's not theirs to work mine. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, that's pretty good odds. Four out of six, man. That's pretty cool. And if that wasn't, you know what, here's the deal. Under the current of all of the, 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 the noise and the drinking and the poverty and all this stuff, my, little, my brother brings home a kid in sixth grade, and he was a little Japanese boy, and he was living in a foster home, and he never left her. He stayed for weeks and weeks, and my mom sent him home one day, and he's like, Randy, you got to go home. And he went down to the corner, and he sat on the curb. And my mom ended up adopting him. You know, it's like, man, I don't know. I think, I think we get to live a pretty beautiful life, even in the midst of that stuff. You know, that I know that underneath of that, that, you know, in those days, and, and we're all, my brother's in his early 60s, whatever, you know, we were out living off the land man we're eating apples and we're climbing plum trees and we're doing all that kind of stuff and um and we were okay and randy had a home and we had a seventh child and and so so i'm the good kid i'm growing up and but but i'm sick inside you know it's that thing i'm this girl i'm this dirty i'm not going to say my last name way to stay out of that marion and you know and um and uh, at 15 years old, I'm at a dance. And, um, you know, everything that was, you know, music was my thing. I thrived. I was a gymnast. All these great things happening. You know, I just, I was managing life well. Sixth, seventh, eighth grade. And my freshman year of high school, I didn't make the choir. I ran for secretary, didn't get it. You know, all this stuff just started going awry or whatever. And, um... And so I'm at a high school dance, and I have my first social drink in the girls' bathroom, in a stall, because I'd ripped off a bottle of MD-2020. <laughs> I mean, it was fancy. <laughs> and the first, the first drink went down, and then I puked it in the toilet, and the second drink went down, and I was off, man. 
And it's so, oh, it's not overdone and it is overdone. There was a panacea for my ills, man, I'm telling you. I felt it was electric and I was off to the races and that was who I became. It's not Marian Gymnast, it's not Marian Singer, it's not Marian any pop, it's Marian Party Girl. And so the next three years of just skipping school and other non-conference approved things that were green, that the hippies grew in Washington, you know, things like that, you know, were, were, were being added to, to my life a little bit, you know. And, um, and, um, so I'm at this party, I'm fast forward, I'm, I'm 18 years old and I go to this party and, and there's this guy and he's across the room and he's in a fight and he has no shirt on and he's got those Levi's on and, and, He's in a fight, man. He's in this fight. And I'm like, I'm going to go over and break up the fight. And I'm like, it was love at first sight, girls. You know, what can I say? You know, but I know, you know, I, I married this man and I spent a lot of years with him. And the deal is, is I married my dad. You know, I qualified for those rooms of Al-Anon too, babes, way a long time ago. Never even knew it. But, you know, um... So, so yeah, love at first sight, and we move away from Bellingham to Seattle, and because I'm five months pregnant, my dad's in Alaska, dad never liked him, oh my gosh, you know, so dad, um, so we moved down to Seattle, and, and things get pretty crazy down there, and um, we had, we had three kids in a row, Brandon, Jake, and Jessica, my darlings that are 39, 38, and 37 today, and, um, and, uh, and they were all in diapers and bottles at the same time, and, and I'm the alcoholic housewife, and and all, and all that stuff, you know. And what I was trying to do with those kids is give them those things on the outside that I never had, you know. It was like I gave them; they had their clothes. We had the the, the, the house. We moved back to Bellingham. We got a little above ground swimming pool. We built a tree house, you know, and I'm busy trying to give them everything that I never had. But what I am doing, and this is through good sponsorship, and this is through a whole lot of step work and things like that. I was, you know, I loved and I cherished my children. I love them and I cherish them, and I wanted to be the mother that my mom wasn't. But my sponsor helped me put this together that, Marion, you love them and you cherish them. But you abused them and you neglected them. And that's, you know, that's a hard pill to swallow sometimes, you know. It's like, I wasn't the abusive mother where I threw him against the wall. I'm not talking about that. Abuse can look like this, you know. Go get your own breakfast. Abuse can look like, make your own lunch. Abuse can look like, I'm tired, get out of here. That's what abuse can look like, you know. That's what it can look like. And that's what neglect can look like. That, you know, go to bed now so mom can drink. You know, things like that. That's what it can look like. But, but man, I'm, that was, that was huge for me. That was huge for me to be able to know and accept that about myself. That, that you can love and cherish your children and you can abuse, abuse and neglect them at the same time. And there's this deal too with our kids, man. I don't know. There's some, how many moms in the room? I mean, you know, um, I 
with literally 100% any time of day, day or night, whatever, 24-7, I would throw myself in, a in front of a train to save my children. Wouldn't even think about it. If the choice was them or me, man, I'm going. But I can't stay sober for that. I mean, doesn't that just show you what we can do on self-will and what we can, that power, the powerlessness that we have over alcohol in our lives, the powerlessness I had in my life, because my life is going down, it's going down, and I can't show up for stuff. And my kids, I'm doing being the same mom that, that I was to my kids, that my mom was to me. You know, I can't show up for anything. I'm, you know, I remember coming home from, you know, at noon one day, I'm so drunk and calling the neighbor to pick my kids up from school because I'm sick. You know, oh my God, this poor neighbor, what did she think when I'm like, can't even put a sentence together over the phone, you know? And, um, so, so these, my little kids were, they were four, they were five, they were six years old, four, five, and six. And I get pregnant for the fourth time. And my husband's huge alcoholic at the time, but, and it's like, we were excited. There was a new excitement though in it too, because my kids were, they're in diapers at the same time, they're in bottles at the same time. And I get pregnant for the fourth time. And, um, and so I was really excited about this. And October, October the 19th, um, 1986, my fourth child was born. His name was Brian, Brian Daniel. And um, three months later, I went back to work. And the day that Brian was three months and three days old, my little sister was babysitting him. And when we went into the bedroom at my little sister's house, he was purple. And... Um, and she came running out of the bedroom with him in his, her arms. And my son died at a crib death that day. That was January 22nd, 1988. And, um, 87, I'm sorry. And, um, that same year in August, um, 17th, I think is the date, um, my mom died. And so I'm already an alcoholic, and I lose my son. I lose the first person that's close to me in my whole entire life. Not an aunt, not an uncle, nobody, you know, but my own child. And, um, and that same year, my mom passes away. And I cannot get enough alcohol inside my body. I can't take care of my kids. I, I, I have no power. And, um, you know, I look back at that now. And there was a situation, there's some stuff that happened that led me in the path of God. Do you guys ever look back at your life and your alcoholism and things like you can see God in it, you know? I could see that God was moving in my life. You know, my fiance always says, you know, we under, I'm going to steal your line, but you can have it tomorrow. Um, <laughs> you know, we live our life forward and we understand it backwards so often, you know, but I could see that God was doing things in my life. And, and what happened was this, is after Brian's passing, somehow these Baptists came in, and I'm not here, to, I'm just sharing you my journey. Um, these beautiful Baptists came to my front door, knocking on the door, and they said, um, can I take your little kids to Sunday school? Can we take your little kids to Sunday school? 
We'll pick them up on Sunday morning at 9 a.m. and we'll and and um, we'll drop them off at one o'clock in the afternoon. Well, if you're an alcoholic housewife, that's like a pretty good cheap <laughs> babysitting idea. Literally, that's what I thought. Sunday morning, I'm good to go. I can nurse my hangover, and I'm I'm good because they're going to Sunday school, whatever that is, you know. And um, and so they're going, and they're going to this place, and and um, it was it was October 1988. I'll remember it forever as long as I live. But in October of 1988, my um, my kids came home, and they said, "Mama, they're having a little." Uh, what do they call it? A harvest festival at the little Baptist church. And we want, oh, thank you, sweetheart. My old home group in Bellingham, Washington, I didn't mention this. They used to, uh, whenever I shared, we had an open, I had the same home group for 20 years, Northwest Group of Alcoholics Anonymous. And it was always open sharing. And whenever I went to share, it was either gratitude or whatever. they just throw the box of Kleenex at me. <laughs> There's Marion. There goes the Kleenex. <laughs> So, um, so, so it's the harvest festival and come on, mom, we're going to sing. We want you to come. We want you to come. We want you to come. And I went and, um, and the next day they wanted to come and visit. They gave me a call and, and this pastor and his wife came over and they said, do you, do you mind if we just come over and talk to you? And I said, yes. Why did I say yes? I was like, I have no idea, you know? I have no idea. But that day was a day um, I met the God of my understanding while my children were upstairs with the missus. And I never understood this for the longest time. And it isn't till like the last, I don't know, six, this, not even a year. Like it just, God just dropped it in my heart that he took care of my kids when I couldn't take care of them. Oh my God. He took care of them when I couldn't take care of them. I couldn't take care of them. And he did. And, you know, still even in the craziness of my children, because God knows I'm not going to diagnose their disease, but, you know, (laughs) that was really a smart Alec remark. Sorry. But um, but my kids, through my kids, I found the God of my understanding. But the terrible thing, the terrible thing, the thing that happened with that was this, was that I get this God, I'm, I'm like, I got my box of almond and wine, you know, I got, you know, I got my Bible and I got my highlighter and I'm like talking to the Lord and... And I can't get sober, man. I'm like pouring through the pages of this Bible and I'm drunk and preaching. And oh my God, it was crazy. You know, it was like, yeah. And then, you know, like that whole thing of the next morning, every time of waking up with the hideous four horsemen and why can't I get sober and run into this poor preacher and telling him what is wrong with me, you know? And, um, and he just, girl, just keep praying, just keep praying, just keep praying. And I didn't know why, like, that was October 18th, 1988. And I didn't get sober till November 11th, 1989. That's a long time. That's a, that's a long 14 months. <laughs> because we, we always say this, like, people that relapse in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous or they 
go do more research or they slip or whatever we want to call it, you know, that, that it's a bad mix of a head full of AA and a belly full of booze. Well, a heart full of the Lord and a belly full of booze is a pretty bad combination too. It was a bad combination for me. And I just kept crying out to God and I kept crying out to God and I can't get sober and I can't get sober and I can't get sober. But what had happened was like all these pieces, you know, understanding it backwards. Six months before that, I had this next door neighbor who went to treatment. My little sister had gotten sober. I vaguely remember that because she always used to supply things to help me go to sleep. And I was kind of bummed out that she didn't have that anymore, you know. And... um and so this neighbor goes to treatment, and, um, and I, you know, just one of those things in the back of her mind, whatever. I didn't even, yeah, whatever. He needs help. Good luck for him because he's got a problem, you know. And um, so the, the morning comes of November 11th, 1989. It was the day after my 30th birthday. And um, I had this beautiful um, perm I'd gotten you know, one of those 80 perms. And I hadn't washed it in days, so I looked more like Bob Marley. And um, it was it was matted, and it was heavy, and it was... I love Bob Marley, but when it's a bad 80s perm and you're not, you know... And actually, some good dreadlocks are cool, too. Right, Bellingham? Um, they really are. <laughs> some of them. Um, God, where was I going? So, oh yeah, so so here's the deal. So, you know, I think this is a thing that we don't understand all the time. It's like, what's the difference between the day before when I drank and the difference between November 10th, which was my 30th birthday, to the November 11th and what happened that morning in my bright pink bathroom with my Bob Marley hair looking at myself in the mirror. And one of those things I understand today, what that was for me, was the gift of desperation that God had given me that day, that morning. Because when I looked in the mirror, I can tell you, I can quote some things out of the big book that were things that happened for me. I stood at the turning point. I stood at the turning point. I couldn't see my life with a drink. I couldn't see my life without a drink. And what I saw was a truth in my eyes that morning. And I'll never forget it as long as I live. You know, Hank Parkhurst is our southern friend, and there's a beautiful story in the back of the book, and he's one of my favorites. And, and he describes it so well, something that I've experienced when we enter the world of the Spirit, when we get to live this thing. He talks about the voice of God being like, a thought with a voice. And as I looked in that mirror, the thought with a voice said, you need to go to treatment. That had never came to me. That was never a solution. You know? And um, I went in to tell my husband about it, and he said, well, there's some green stuff in the drawer. There's some beer in the refrigerator. You're overreacting again. Because I was that girl, like, I was swearing off with or without a solemn oath. I was switching from scotch to brandy, but it usually was Schmidt beer to Rainier or whatever, you know. Um, I, I was swearing. Oops. It stopped.
Hi. Okay. You want me to just keep talking real loud? All right. So, <laughs> then what happened? <laughs> Let's do. That was fun. Um, should I really keep talking? Go on with. Okay. So I. Sh no worries. I'm good. Yep. Let me go grab batteries. So did I did I hear I should keep talking or I shouldn't? Okay. Just remind me where I was in the store. So the cool thing is, is she said she paused the recording, but she said she has a little bit of the stomp, stomp thing on her. So I'm psyched about that. So as I was saying, um, I, I left my husband at home with the three kids and I took off and I went to treatment for 30 days. And it was a... It was a pretty big deal for me to, to, to get away from them, you know, to get away from them, to do that, you know? Um, <laughs> this is gonna go downhill from here. No. And, um, and I really can take a joke good, so I'm really thrilled that that happened, to break the ice a little bit. So um, anyway, I go to treatment, um, and I had my husband's boxer shorts and a hoodie on, and I didn't do an intake. Apparently that you call first and say you're coming. I just showed up because I knew I was gonna die. Because all of the things, all the substances I was putting in my body, I was just, I was, I knew I needed help. And I was scared and I was petrified. I was petrified. And when they did my intake, you know, I thought I had maybe a little problem with alcohol. And I was honest on all those questions and they diagnosed me a late second stage chronic alcoholic. And, um, and so, so I laid in detox for three days. And what happened in the, on that third day that I was laying in detox was I got the idea that I had overreacted. <laughs> you know, I'm good here. I'm going to go home. Thanks so much. You people are great. I've learned a lot and all that, right? And, and on that third day, was my mind trying to take me back out? And that's oftentimes what happens. I gotta get home and take care of the kids. I gotta do this, I gotta do that, all those things. And what I met there that day was a day of grace that I'll never forget as long as I live. Because I had this heart and I had this relationship with God. But what I met was two people that came into that room and sat at the end of the bed. And when we have that picture of the man in the bed in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, that is my absolute favorite picture. 
because that was me. I'm not a man. <laughs> so I'd share that, but I am a woman. And I was a woman on the bed, and there was this therapist named Steven who died of this disease. And he was like seven feet tall, to me anyway. It looked like he was seven feet tall. And there was this nurse, Becky T, that came in. And they sat at the end of the bed. And they had sat in those chairs. And they spoke the language of the heart. They spoke the words of understanding. Like, you know, I, 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 you know how they describe it in the big book, you know, that's me. That's me too. That was me. And for the first time, I heard a message of hope. I heard people speaking out loud all the things that were inside of me. And it was like, you too, you too, you too. You were alone. You were afraid. You were, you know, you're all this stuff. And, and, and I always say this, like, I feel like for me, the, those two worlds collided, the world of God and the world of the fellowship, of, the, of this beautiful fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, I, we would go over to the park and walk in the morning, and I worked the first three steps in, in treatment, treatment-style steps. You add up all the money of the booze you spent, you know, whatever, things like that. But, but I didn't care, man, I was alive. I was alive, and, and it's November, and it's Washington, and the leaves are orange, and they're green, and they're red, and I'm swinging on these high swings, and I'm like, do you see this? Like sometimes when you go back to that moment of going, look what God's done. I'm alive, and I'm free, and I'm free. And, and you know, one more time, you know, like God, they, they, you know, if you're new in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, but I will shout God from the rooftops, man, God, 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 God. But in those beginning days, when you start seeing these just little simple things like, oh my God, there went a leaf, it dropped from the ground, it must be God, you know, <laughs> or, or, oh, you brought me a cup of coffee at the right time, it's God, you know. Or did you hear what she said? She said she's a liar too. It's God. You know? It's, a, it's like everything. It was like God. It was everywhere. It's like, oh my God, you just called me right now. I can't believe you called me right now. That's God. You know? Like it was all those things that were just adding up. And they used to say that coincidences are God doing things and remaining anonymous. I'll probably botch that a little bit. But all those things were happening over and over again. And they bring me... I worked that third step and I'm down on my knees in treatment and I earned the right to go out on a Friday night to a meeting and they were going to bring me a temporary sponsor. And guess what? They bring the only woman I know in the whole world besides my little sister that's sober. She shows up to be my temporary sponsor. Guess what? Who is that? God. <laughs> oh my God. Dawn? Did you see what God did? Oh my God, it's Dawn. You know? And she picks me up to take me to Dry Dock. And Dry Dock in Bellingham, Washington, it was not pretty, man. There were floors like this, and there was radiator clanking, and there's the trains going by, and there's bums hanging out inside. And this, you know, the old ashtray days, you know, smoke billowing and everything. And it's Friday night, folks. Great. <laughs> It's Friday night, and I'm here with these losers, you know, old men, and you know, all this stuff, and I'm like, I'm like 
I, again, one more time, you guys, that's the deal. Where this disease centers in the mind, one more time again, my mind is trying to take me out. I'm like, holy crap. Here, you know, my whole life I felt like I was lower than a poop on the bottom of a horse stable. <laughs> yeah, horse stable. Yeah. That's for you guys. Yeah. I just made that up. You like it? I was low. You know, but all of a sudden I'm in dry dock in Bellingham and I'm too good for that. Excuse me. Excuse me. And I'm sitting in that AA meeting and in, in my home state of Washington State, there's Indian reservation and native reservation after native reservation. And I, my mom is Alaskan Aleut and I'm proud to say I'm part Alaskan Aleut. And that dry dock had these church benches in the back and there's this Native American woman and she speaks up to talk. And guess what, when she talked, guess who it sounded like? Yeah, it sounded like God. <laughs> I don't know what she said, I don't know what, what happened, but she was me. And I'm telling you, that's the third week in treatment and I worked the third step and I needed to hear God because I was on my way back out one more time again, folks. I was. And I heard God. And you know I've been here ever since. One more time after one of my first sponsors died, I was, I was busy writing a fourth step and she had passed and that woman, Kathy D, she taught me, you know, my mom died, and um, I learned to grieve someone in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. I learned service in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. I learned from a woman who didn't have any hair and was going through cancer and was raising her children and knew she was going to pass, how to call her up and get her out of herself because she says, don't you deny me marrying of my sobriety. You come over here, let's get in that big book. And I got to stand right by the side of her kids. Those kids are still my kids today. Her kids, Art D. And why am I forgetting his daughter's name? Because I'm 59. Liz, Liz, you met Art D. Women of grace and dignity, women that held my hand, women that walked me through my sobriety, women who said no matter what, how do you, how do you pass away from cancer and you pick up a big book and you take a newcomer in and you listen to her cry about how she spent too much on groceries and her husband got mad or whatever it is. How do you do that? How do you live a life of service like that? How do you live a life of selflessness like that? How do you do that? You know, it's all the things that I... You know, stick around if you're new, you know, what's got to change? Everything. You know, that stuff that's so beautifully described in, in the St. Francis prayer, you know, to love rather than to be loved, to understand than to be understood, to, to forgive rather than to be forgiven. All those things that we learn in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, it's about what I'm going to give and it's not about what I'm going to get. You know, it's about what I give and not about what I'm going to get. What I'm going to give, not about what I'm going to get. And I can tell you one thing, that, I, that I, it holds true if you're room, new in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. What you give in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, you cannot out-give God. 
I cannot outgive God. Peter and I, man, I'm telling you, I, I sponsor more women than I can't even, I don't even, I don't know. And so does he. In our rooms, in our house sometimes looks like a phone room. He's taking a call or I'm taking a call or he's out on a 12-step call or I'm out on a 12-step call. You know, we are inconvenienced. <laughs> you know, we are, right? But what does that feel like, guys, when you do that? What does that feel like when you get that call and you're thinking about yourself and, oh, I should have got my manicure today, but this stupid sponsee called and all of a sudden you hear a story and you're just, everything inside's okay. Everything's inside is okay. What did Bill and Bob say at the beginning, man? What did they say at the beginning? Hey, if we're going to keep this thing, we better get busy. You know, I don't know how much grace I need. I don't know how much God I need. I don't know how many sponsees I need. I don't know how many steps I need to work. I don't know what where that line of grace for me stops. I don't know. You know, I don't know how many fifth steps I got to hear on a weekend. I don't know what that looks like in my life. But a life of service gladly rendered. A glad. I've been overpaid, man. I've been overpaid. Little gal, dirty little face, Bellingham, Washington, to Kentucky. You know, Kentucky might not be big to you, but it's big to me right now, okay? <laughs> and I'm filling in for Polly B. How does that happen? You know, my God, yeah. You guys are getting good at this test. You're getting really good at this test. I love it. I love it. So see, God is like, you know, our big book says God is either everything or he's nothing. And my, and I, I think I made it up, but I really don't need credit. But I kind of think I did, but maybe I didn't. Probably not. You know, God is either everything or he's nothing, but God is either everywhere or he's nowhere. You know, I've, I've, I've been in, uh, I was a Pentecostal worship leader, and, and I felt the power of God. I've, I've sat at my father's deathbed, and I put lotion on his feet, and I felt, felt why he was passing, and I felt the power of God. And I've held a newborn baby, a grandchild, or my own children, and I felt the power of God. And I sat with a drunk with a day on my knees and doing a third step prayer or a first step prayer or just pouring him a cup of coffee or washing an ashtray in my old home group. What was that, guys? His God. See, I don't have that power. I don't have that power that separates me from alcohol. But God could and would if you were sought. God does not make too hard a terms for those who seek him. Abandon yourself as you understand God. Give freely of what you've been given. Give freely of what you've been given. See, all the while, you know, my little kids, man, they love it. Northwest Group of Alcoholics Anonymous, Bellingham, Washington, they knew Brandon, Jake, and Jess. 
Why? Because she didn't help with the ashtrays. That was my first commitment. You know, there was an old timer there named CB with one of those big, nice, alcoholic noses. <laughs> and he was the first day to say, hey, Marion, nice to see ya. He was the guy chairing the meeting every 8 a.m. meeting, and I was like, holy crap, he knows my name. I thought I was famous, man. It's like, this is good. You know, my kids would go in, they'd make their own little cup of tea and coffee, and they'd sit in meetings with Mama, and they remember those old timers and the people that, you know, I got what I have today because of what's been freely given to me. You know, nothing that I have is original. You know, it all goes back to this book and these 12 steps that was divinely inspired by God. Bill's a drunk like me. Bill's a drunk like you. You think this book was inspired by Bill or by God? God. Thank God for Bill. Thank God for Bill. You know, I, I listened to one of his talks and, well, I listened to some of his talks, but Recently, and, and this is what I know to be true, and this it was a pretty cool story. And we got Lois to thank, too, by the way. Marie, where are you? She's our Alan on speaker tomorrow, my friend Marie. But um, we got Lois to thank, too, man, our families. What we put our families through. But um, they, were, they were having a meeting, and they were talking about writing the big book. And when they were talking about writing the big book, this group of people were saying, well, we might need to just keep the God side a little bit down, you know, maybe a little bit. And Bill's kind of going along with it. Lois comes home and she's in the kitchen and the coffee pot goes down. She slams it down and she says to him, she says so nicely, I'm sure. Bill Wilson, do you forget who got you sober? Upstairs, slams the door. I see the whole scene. You know what I mean? Throws a blanket out. I'm sure. But I guess what he did was he sat under the he sat under the stairwell. And this is in his own words. And this was a talk he did the day after Dr. Bob died. He was supposed to do this talk and he wasn't going to go. And Lois said, "You go. You go." And guys, what he what he wrote that night and what he penciled that night was. Rarely have we seen a person fail as thoroughly follow the path. Those who do not recover are those who cannot and will not completely give themselves to this simple program. I think you guys know the rest, right? But how beautiful in that moment, like God, you know, God's grace is free. God's love is free. God meets us in those moments, in our darkest moments. I bet, I bet your last day, your first day sober wasn't pretty. You know, and neither was mine. So 20 years I met that same home group, 20 years I met the, the Northwest Group of Alcoholics Anonymous in Little Bellingham, Washington, and we invited in a guest speaker, and his name was Peter M., and this is my fiancé today, and you're going to get to hear him tomorrow. He came in one day. I was singing, I'm a country music singer, by the way. I don't get paid for it anymore, but hey. I just thought I'd throw that wine up because I'm in Kentucky. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyhow, the cool thing was is he came for one day to Bellingham and I had been long divorced in a, in a pretty, a man who never found these rooms and got sicker and sicker and sicker and 
that marriage found an end and I was alone and I was crying out to God, you know? And God sent a guy from Brooklyn to Bellingham. And um, I've spent the last seven years in, in South Florida and, um, and God's rocketed my life, you know? I, I was fine being a little small town girl doing a little country singing here and there and I was okay. And, and, and it's just like, you know, God's opened up a whole new world for me. He's, he's, uh, he's given me invitations to come to places like this and to be able to share my experience, strength, and hope. And guess what? It's the same thing like Don P. talks about. Or I, I freak out every time I do this. I do, completely. This poor guy, like I put him through, he needs therapy pretty much by the time I'm done. You know? And um, not really. But I lean on him and I lean on God and great sponsorship and a great fellowship. And, um, but it's a life of service gladly rendered today. Gladly rendered for what God gets. And, and, and here, here's the deal. Whether it's here or whether, you know, no attachment, man. There's nothing like a drunk in a seat and an, and, and an open big book or a good old fashioned 12 step call. You know, there's no measure and no difference. Um, what it is, is about a God of my understanding. And if you're here today and you're new to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, reach out your hand and let somebody know you're hurting. See, what I believe that we get in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous is we get soul friends. You know, we meet on this common ground. We meet on this common journey that there's nothing you're going to say to me that's going to shock me. You know, it's like, here's my number, lady. <laughs> you know, whatever that is. And so thank you so much for your invitation and, and letting me fill in for my one of my AA heroes. And I just look forward to the rest of the week and getting with y'all. <laughs> okay, God bless. Thank you so much. Thank you. Aww.